Hey, y'all, I wanted to take a second before we get into this episode to remind you that the show is also available on YouTube. And starting from episode number 101, it's all in 4K. I'm trying to make the best video podcast I can, so definitely check it out and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Go to youtube.com slash at progressionspod or hit the link in the show notes. If you're not getting enough progressions and you want to get even more thoughts on creativity, productivity, and growth in music, then you should sign up for my newsletter. You'll find a brief article in each monthly edition as well as updates on progressions and myself. I'm also sharing some workflow hacks and links to stuff that I found interesting or helpful. So it should be fun. If you want to stay up to date on the latest and get all the bonus stuff, go to travisferrance.com slash subscribe or click the link in the show notes. Hey, welcome to Progressions, Success in the Music Industry. I'm your host, Travis Ferrance, and this is episode number 19. We're staying in Italy for the second week in a row to hang with our latest guest. I'm super excited to bring you that interview in just a minute. But first, we have to rant. This opening is going to be pretty heavily inspired by a book called The One Thing by Gary Keller. I've wanted to talk more in depth about this book for a bit. I know I've brought it up several times in the show already because reading it was a huge game changer for me. Here's why. Coming up through the classic recording studio system, I was trained to be invisible, to serve the client at all costs, to answer the phone at all times and say, yes, I can be there in 15 minutes, to basically be the ultimate client services Superman. I might make it sound like I regret that and that I don't think those things are important, which is false. The client is always right, and the recording studio experience should be as invisible as possible to the creator. There should be zero barriers between artist and art. So I 100% believe my training was the right training, and I appreciate every second of it. What I wish, I wish somebody would have said, don't do this forever. I made friends and clients for life working the way that I was taught. But what I didn't do is realize my goals or reach the point in my career I expected to be in after a certain amount of time. Why? Because I never prioritized my goals first. Never. Client first at all costs. At all costs. That's the catch. If you want to achieve something in your life, you need to decide to go after it. It won't show up at your doorstep one day wrapped with a bow on top. This goes for any industry and any career. Now, I'll be honest, my situation was definitely not the worst case scenario. My experience coming up through the recording studio was very much in line with where I wanted to take my career. But what if yours is not? What if you were working in an industry unrelated to music and dreaming of becoming a touring artist? Or you're doing live sound and you want to be a film composer. You can't keep doing what you're doing and expect your goals to be achieved. Okay, so insert the one thing. I've mentioned this book several times before, and likely I'll be bringing it up again because the ideas that it is built on are the core foundation for achieving your goals. Here's where Gary Keller's book comes into play with this rant. If you want to achieve your goals, you need to A, define what those goals are. B, break those goals down to steps and C, act on those steps. How many times have I echoed that on this show already? We're getting into broken record territory on this. So let's dive into the one thing. The majority of Gary Keller's book is rooted in what he calls the focusing question. That question is, what's the one thing I can do such that by doing it, everything else will be easier or unnecessary? This is the question you have to ask yourself every day about your goals. What is the one thing that I can do that will make my goals become reality? But before we do that, 
you have to know what your goal is. Gary calls this your someday goal. This is the penultimate goal for your career or your personal life or whatever it is you're trying to achieve. You have to identify what this goal is before you can begin to work your way towards it. This becomes your one thing. Now that you have determined what the end goal is, you have to work your way backwards, doing what Gary calls goal setting to the now. You are trying to identify all of the steps that need to happen for you to achieve your goals and doing it all the way back to right now. What is the very next thing you have to do? If you do this with a goal, you'll be surprised the simplicity of what that next task might be. It could be as simple as sending an email or purchasing some software to automate a task that is taking too much of your time. You are basically identifying all of the dominoes that you need to set up to fall in order to achieve your goal. As I mentioned in episode 10, a falling domino is able to knock down a domino that is 50% larger than itself. This is the example Gary uses in building momentum towards your one thing. So once you have your one thing and you set your dominoes up, it's time to act. It's now that you'll be asking yourself your focusing question every day. You need to be sure that everything you can do to reach your goals and knock down your dominoes is what you're doing. Now there are a few things that will get in your way. I'll go over two of them briefly because I think they're the most likely to hold you up and I'll leave the rest for the book. One is that you must fiercely guard your time and prioritize the things that work you toward your one thing over the things that don't. This is where I fought my greatest battle. My studio upbringing taught me to never do this. And that is why I started this rant with that story. If you aren't working towards your goals, it's likely because you are not prioritizing your goals over other things in your life. This is number one. You have to block time for your one thing and guard it. The second thing I wanted to touch on here is building good habits that work towards your one thing. To quote Gary in the book, success is actually a short race, a sprint fueled by discipline just long enough for habit to kick in and take over. According to research cited in the book, it takes an average of 66 days for someone to develop a habit. It varies from person to person and obviously habit to habit. 66 days sounds like a long time. I think somebody once told me it took 14 or 21 days to build a habit. So compared to that, 66 days can feel like an eternity. But really, 66 days is not that long. If I told you it took 66 days of discipline to build a habit that will compound daily for the rest of your life to help you achieve your goals, then all of a sudden, it wouldn't feel that long. So with that in mind, commit yourself to building habits that propel you towards your one thing. Because once an action becomes a habit, it takes very little effort to execute and will compound results. So that's my quick summary of the one thing. I cherry-picked the pieces that make sense for this conversation. And I encourage you to pick the book up and give it a read. If you have not defined your goals down to one thing and have never thought about structuring your life around dedication to that thing, I guarantee this book will change the way you approach everything. And please don't take my rant about recording studio client services out of context. It's just an example of the dangers of focusing on your job and expecting success to approach you and present itself. All of us have or have had jobs that are not necessarily in line with our goals, especially people in the arts. You need to have an income to survive. People take jobs. I'm just asking you to consider what you can do every day that will work you towards your goals and then do that thing first. If you take a one thing approach to your goals, you'll find that the hard work will compound and you'll look back and forget you even had that job. So give it a try. What's the one thing I can do such that by doing it, everything else will be easier or unnecessary?
Today's guest is multi-instrumentalist, producer, composer, and educator Charles Birchall. As a producer and musician, Charles has worked with artists such as Talib Kweli, Christian Scott, and Braxton Cook, as well as his own project, The Love Experiment. On the educational side, he's taken his experience as a graduate of both New England Conservatory and Harvard and worked to design various programs for both online and traditional institutions. In addition to all of that, he also has a label with Splice Sounds and spends time as a musical diplomat, which has him traveling around the world, spreading empowerment through music education. So a diverse range of topics to talk about. So welcome to the show, Charles Birchall. Hey, Charles. Thank you for having me. Thank you yeah. for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on. How It's late over in, in Italy, right? Yes. <laughs> it's it's uh, almost 11.30. Okay. Thanks uh, Thanks for, for staying up. So I'm, I'm excited about this episode because... Uh, you know, I reached out to you because you wrote an article that I stumbled on in like a Splice newsletter. And I'm going to recommend all our listeners read the article. I'll put a link in the show notes. But um, just to give a quick summary, it was basically uh, about breaking your goals down to actionable tasks and then having a plan based off of the vision of who you want to become or where you want your career to go. How did you come up with the inspiration behind that article because it's like right in line with this podcast so that's why I was like man I got to get this guy on the show to talk about this uh you know to be to be 100% honest that article was really like a lot of the articles I write especially for Splice or other platforms are really like research based on like talking about a certain you know topic or it's very specific but with that one I kind of have the freedom to do what I want and I, I think just where I was in my life at the moment I was writing that article, I was very much um, trying to figure out like how, what, what systems were working for me as far as how I was becoming more productive because I kind of realized that I felt like I was meandering for years in my music career or just in my, in my life in general as far as having these goals and ideas but not really having the clear steps to get them. You know, and I think that's kind of one of the things that artists really struggle with is basically, you know, having all these dreams, but not really understanding how to turn the dreams into goals. So you just have these dreams and, you, and then the dreams become nightmares if you don't achieve them. <laughs> but you never really kind of, you know, you never really kind of figure out, like, how do I get there? And, you know, I realized, like, OK, anything that you want to have is possible you just have to figure out the steps and then you got to work backwards. And, um, I don't know who taught me this. I, you know, I think it's probably from just like a lot of my own reading and, you know, studying self-help stuff and all these things, just kind of like understanding that if you really, really want a goal and you really, really want to achieve something, then you really just have to dissect whatever steps are necessary to get there. And I think a lot of musicians and artists, are just kind of very zoomed into the immediate thing that they're trying to do. And then their big plan, wherever it is for their life, they just think will happen. You know, like, okay, if I just continue doing stuff, it's just going to happen for me. Right. But I realized like nothing just happens. Like you have to really think about it. And the more specific you get, the, the easier it becomes. And it's also kind of based on my own like spiritual practices. Cause, um, I'm very, uh, I won't say I'm extremely religious, but I'm very spiritual and I study a lot of, um, I study a lot of like Zen philosophy. My son is actually named Zen, my daughter's named Lotus. And so I listen to 
this philosopher, who's a Western guy who kind of translated a lot of those Eastern philosophies, his name is Alan Watts. And uh, I listen to the way he breaks down kind of his understanding humanity and the human condition and also how we communicate, I guess you could say, with the universe. And so not to be super esoteric, but the idea of that article and that piece really came from me basically saying like, how, what tools am I using to, to manifest the things I want to see in my life? And what does that look like? Because I believe, you know, cause I wrote this article a while ago, the article was called the illusion of perfection, I believe. Right. Yes. It That's was, the yeah. one you're, you're referencing. Yeah. Right. So I made that title before I wrote the article, but the main concept is that so much as artists and people working in creative fields, we get trapped into the idea that we have to be perfect or this thing has to be, you know, exactly like this. And I know so many people, myself included, have spent years trying to make the perfect record and all this. And then you just put it out and like your friends like it and that's the end of it. <laughs> and then you're just like, okay, there was three years in my life, <laughs> you know, yeah, because there weren't enough goals to really support that, like enough steps to really say how I'm going to make the biggest impact with that. So for me, anything I write, especially if it's like giving advice, is really more like this is what I wish I would have told myself years ago. And hopefully it will help somebody else that, you know, if you really want to achieve something, you got to get super, super detailed and specific about what it is that you really want to achieve. So I really was just trying to outline my methods of how I'm working through that. No, that, that's great. I love that. I love that article because I've been doing a lot of that, like searching in my own life over the last, you know, couple years. You know, there's something about musicians. I don't know why we're like this, where you just expect like, success to just appear because you practiced a lot for like 10 years and since you were five or whatever, and you're just going to be at the top of the billboard charts, but it unfortunately doesn't work like that. So, and I think what people don't realize is how crazy it is. If you take like, if I want to win a Grammy and you break that down into like step after step after step, and you get to like the smallest place you possibly can, like it might just be get up an hour earlier and write lyrics and it could like the next step could yeah. be so easy and so tiny. But like when you wake up every morning, you're like, I'm going to win a Grammy. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win a Grammy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think I think it's cool. And I'm glad that I'm glad that you wrote that. And, and I've sent that to a few people because I really think that unfortunately, musicians aren't tapped into that. And I, I wish they were. So, you know, props on that. Well, you know, I think also it's like we kind of, I would say anybody... 40 and 25 between 40 we're still living on like an old model of how the music life works and we're sold this dream like okay if you're just really good then the success will happen but yeah. that's not the case anymore no. there are a lot of really good people and they've always been really good people who success didn't happen to and you realize the more you study the people that you admire that success doesn't just happen it's circumstantial, but it's also take it's also the result of people planning and having a clear vision of what they want to achieve, you know. And so I think that, especially now in today's era, like self discipline is the key to success. The more you can discipline yourself and train yourself and figure out what it is you need to do to achieve what you want, then that's how you get there. And if the idea is like, yeah, I want to get a Grammy, like this year was the first time that. I was a part of a record that was considered to be nominated for a Grammy. It didn't actually get nominated, but it was being considered. 
And just the feeling of like, oh man, what if I get nominated for a Grammy was so overwhelming. I was like, wait, I don't want this to be a fleeting moment. I need to ensure that maybe not next year, but in the next three years that I get nominated. So what do I have to do? Right. What room do you have to get in? Exactly. But that's, you know, as I wrote this article in my own three year, five year plan or whatever, Grammy is in there. But I also know that there's a bunch of other steps I have to do before that's a possibility because I kind of accidentally almost got the nomination. But if I was intentional about it, maybe it'll come even sooner than I think. Yeah, it's funny how uh, sometimes that like you feel like you land somewhere in your career that where you're not supposed to be You're like, oh, man, I just feel like I just jumped like 10 steps. Either you can, you know, propel from there or maybe uh, maybe you don't. Maybe you take one step back, but you see you see that it's just um, it's just hard work and, and human humanness that got everybody there. And you can kind of, like you're saying, restructure your your system to now I know what I need to do to get back. I've seen it. So exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you need that little bit. Um, yeah, taste. Exactly. Yeah, you, yeah, exactly. So we should probably talk about how you how you started in, in music. I, I really wanted to talk about that article. Uh, so I wanted to start with that. But you're from New Orleans. You're living in Italy. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. was your like, what was your musical uh, childhood? How'd you get started? When did you get started? Well, I, I definitely got started as a musician before I actually became a musician, if that makes sense. I was exposed to a lot of music growing up in New Orleans, especially. It's just a very musical city. Yeah. It has a lot of music history involved in it, especially American music. Really, I'm thankful to my parents. They played a lot of music for me even before I was born. They, you know, just kind of flooded me with different music, jazz, R&B, soul, gospel. Um, I grew up in the Baptist church. So I heard music every Sunday that was really inspiring. And I sat right next to the drums, you know, it just so happened I turned out to to be a drummer as well. (laughs) So that was like, you know, probably first 10 years of my life. I wasn't actually playing an instrument, but I was just soaking up music. And then at age 11, my mom put me in like a marching band style camp. And that's the first time I picked up drumsticks and started that whole process, but it was just for a summer. And then I did it again. And she actually got me a private teacher. So I started learning how to read music and just kind of the basics of drumming, which is like rudiments and all that when I was about 12. And then I think at 13, I joined my middle school band. And I thought it was going to be a marching band because marching bands are really huge in New Orleans because we have the second line brass band tradition. But then we also just have like school marching bands that are really exciting. So I wanted to do marching band. I didn't think about being like a professional musician. I wanted to be in the marching band. That was what was cool. But uh, they actually had a jazz band instead. Curse me. (laughs) So I started playing the drum set and I really liked that. And then I started learning how to play jazz. And then I um, started studying with a really great jazz legend from New Orleans named Donald Harrison. And he had a program, like an after-school program. Uh, So I did that. And then I also went to a performance arts high school called New Orleans Center for Creative Arts. A lot of people went there, went Marcellus, Terrence Blanchard, Christian Scott, Nicholas Payton. Any any jazz musician really from New Orleans came through that school. And a lot of great actors also came through that school. That's dope. So I basically, yeah, I started in high school. I went to two different schools. I went to this art school and um, a regular high school. And yeah, basically just learning music and learning jazz and learning drum set. And when I was 16, 
for those who don't know, but I'm sure most of your listeners would know, 2005, uh, Hurricane Katrina came, pretty much decimated the city. Yeah, About a awful. year later, yeah, it was horrible. It was horrible, but, you know, also, um, it's also a moment that made me decide to become an artist because I came back to New Orleans, like maybe three months after the storm, or it was like December, um, and the storm was in August, so a few months. And uh, I saw the late, great Ellis Marcellus, the father of what Marcellus ran for Marcellus all those days, playing um, at the local jazz club, Snug Harbor. And he, he normally plays there every Friday. And at this moment, he was playing there, and there were only a few people in there because the city was still devastated and all that. Yeah. But there was just this collective sense of, like, normalcy and calm that everyone being there, watching him, like, everything felt okay, even though, like, Lots of the city was still in ruins and all this. And I realized like that was like the power that music had. Like That's we amazing. could be in this guy like, completely devastated and run down city, but just because certain, these things are still in place and this artist is still willing to come and express himself and all that, it gives us a feeling of home and, and safety and security. And that's when I was like, okay, I want to be more than just a musician. So, you know, that whole experience of growing up in New Orleans and then becoming a musician in New Orleans was really important. But what I will say is that at 16, after Katrina and kind of moving back to the city and going to this school in Oka, I was able to meet kids who worked in another department because we the school had like visual arts, studio recording, media arts, film, wow. dance, all these different disciplines. So I started becoming friends with the people in media arts and they would let us come and record in the studio. So that's how I started like making records. And so I started becoming a producer. And so I had this jazz band and I turned it into a hip hop band. And I linked with some of the kids in the studio program who were rappers. And we started making like acoustic hip hop music like The Roots. And that's how I started producing and writing and composing and writing music. So that was very important, <laughs> informative and then I went on to college. I went to New Conservatory uh, in Boston. Yeah. And um, also went to Harvard uh, Graduate School of Education and learned stuff about arts education, which influenced my path. But I got into education mostly because of my experience in New Orleans, because there were so many great musicians who gave back to the kids and like did these programs and taught us. So I just kind of felt like it was a natural part of what I was supposed to do as a musician was to teach and give back. So that's you know, awesome. long story short, did, I did my college and all that. And I was just teaching the whole time. As I started to travel, I was always doing master classes and things like that. And, um, you know, my, my path kind of started to become these two divergent streams of like a jazz musician and also a producer. Now I kind of put everything together now that I'm, you know, basically not only my producing records, but I'm making these samples so I can kind of kind of, calling all my musical experience as a composer, as a producer, as a drummer, and utilize all the talented musicians that I've met along my journey. But yeah, it's basically, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a long journey. I don't know how long I've been a musician. I think maybe 15 <laughs> or 16 years, maybe longer. I don't know. Since 2000, I would say I've been a professional musician since 2004. So okay. Whatever, <laughs> Many whatever years. that is. What is that? Sixteen. Yeah, it's two thousand twenty-one yeah, so. now, though. So we gotta gotta Ooh. change it. <laughs> um, 
That's crazy. That's that's awesome. I was going to ask you how you ended up with the interest in education, but you answered that obviously very clearly. That's really awesome that that's how you came up, that everybody in that community was giving back. And I think the idea that like something like the hurricane devastating that city, like you said, and people knowing the the power of music, especially in that community, like New Orleans is like, that is a, there's so much culture and, and music in that city. If you're enjoying this episode, then please consider pulling your phone out, tapping that share button and sending this to one person that you think would enjoy it. Obviously it would be huge for me, but it could be even more game changing for that person. You just never know what can inspire or help someone else out. I want to take a second to tell you about Secret Sonics, a podcast by Ben Wallach and Carl Bonner. Secret Sonics is one of my favorite shows and it's now double amazing with the addition of Carl Bonner as a co-host. Ben and Carl have teamed up to discuss the real-world trials and triumphs of music production. They cover it all from mixing and studio tricks to branding and mindsets. If you're a fan of progressions, you'll be a fan of Secret Sonics. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts or hit the link in the show notes. I've only been to New Orleans twice. Twice. And I went, one of them was at a wedding. It was in the French Quarter, and it's just a tradition that there's a, a marching band after the wedding's over, and you go through the streets, right? Like, that's a thing? It's not, it's not really, a, like... The second line can be for anything, but really the tradition is really for funerals, actually. Oh, that's where it comes so from. So it was like, yeah, because basically when you carry the body to the cemetery, it would be the first line and you would have the band still, but they'd be playing sad songs, slower songs called dirges, um, usually based off of hymnals or Negro spirituals or whatever. And there would be all these sad songs as you're walking the body to the cemetery. Once you bury the body, now it's a celebration, now it's a party, and that's the second line and everything is upbeat and everyone's dancing and celebrating. So it really comes from funerals. But nowadays, second lines and things are used for like all types of occasions. Okay, so you, everybody's everybody's doing it. It was crazy. I just remember walking through the streets and everybody is like coming out and standing on their balconies. And I was like, it's like a mini Mardi Gras. It's very bizarre. It was awesome. I loved it. Just love the yeah. excitement <laughs> in that place. It's cool. Uh, how was Boston for you? I, I was in Boston for four years for, for school as well. Did you enjoy that town? I love that that place. I definitely did. I yeah. think Boston is like w one of the best college towns oh, in yeah. America because yeah. there's so many. It's like 77 <laughs> schools. So, you know, yeah. it's just that it's college, 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 um, you know, and it was great because I was just around so much. Like I hung out at my New England Conservatory down the street from Berkeley College of Music is also right next to what's this Northeastern. There's a, there's a, what's that, what's that school? Uh, Mass Arts is, is down the street. Oh, I forgot about um, Mass Art. Yeah. Yeah. That's down the street. And then my first recordings with my band was actually at Emerson University because I met this guy on the plane when I was like coming back to school after my first college break. And we both connected because we both like Jay Dilla and actually I was kind of paranoid of flying on planes and this guy wouldn't turn off it. I was sitting next to him and he wouldn't turn off uh, his cell phone to listen to music when they told him to turn off the stuff. And I was getting pissed. <laughs> and then we ended up catching a, a taxi like back into the city and we connected and it was like, oh, okay. You like Dilla too? Okay, I got this idea. And so this is my man, Tristan Hyatt. I think he's relocated to California now. But yeah, he basically... Um, recorded my first demos and I'm very grateful for that. But yeah, that was at Emerson. And nice. then a lot of my friends uh, had, there was this dual degree program 
with NEC and Harvard. So I, I knew a lot of people who were going to Harvard and my band actually started playing events at Harvard. And so I kind of like got an experience there and then I eventually ended up going there. So I kind of felt like that time you're just surrounded by so much stuff that it just, you just learn if you want to learn. Like it's a lot, of, like I think there are other college towns that are more about partying and having a good time. But I yeah. feel like Boston is a college town that's really about like studying and becoming like skilled at something. It's still fun. People still party, but I feel like it's more for people who really want to like pursue something. Boston's a great place to go to school. Yeah. Well, there's a lot. I mean, you've got MIT and Harvard, which are, you know, everybody knows how high education they are. And then so many renowned art schools and they're all concentrated together. I don't think people realize how small it is. I mean, you could yeah, like walk from NEC to Berkeley on. to Harvard in like 15 minutes if you walk fast. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, no, I, I love that place. It was, it was great. So that's how you ended up at Harvard then is New England Conservatory and Harvard had like a joint thing. Well, no, I actually didn't do the joint program. It's just the fact that because I was meeting so many students who were doing that, I was going to Harvard all the time. And I just kind of got inundated into that community. But how I ended up was that my art teacher at NEC told me about this program at Harvard called the Arts and Education Program and recommended that I apply to it. It was like my senior year of college. She was like, you should apply for this for your master's because you like education. You should do this. And I was like, okay. And I was taking this art class like it was just, you know, one of those credits right. that I had to get out the way. And it was great. Robin Dash, love her. Thank you. She changed my life. Um, and so I said, okay, I'll apply. And I applied and I got in. Surprised me. And, uh, you know, and, and so I went and it was an amazing program. And I learned a lot about the arts. I learned a lot about education. And it confirmed a lot about what I believed about education, that a lot of it is messed up and broken. And so I was just happy that... <laughs> My entire life might led me to go into one of the greatest schools in the world, only to realize that all, almost all of my previous education was like a waste of time or was <laughs> deeply flawed, like I felt it was. So that felt that felt good. <laughs> yeah, that's that a good validation. What kind of flaws are were you feeling like existed and then were validated for you? Well, just that you know, I feel like a lot of modern education isn't concerned with educating students or not concerned with students actually gaining knowledge it's more like okay we need you to be good workers we need you to be able to you know answer the test but it's not necessarily giving you the the answers to skill sets that you need to be able to apply in life so you know i felt like okay like i never like standardized tests and so get into education school and being able to critique all the issues with standardized tests. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, I didn't believe in this either. And I'm glad that people can see that they're very biased and not a great assessment of intelligence. Right. You know, things like that. But just also, you know, the fact that a lot of schools leave out the arts as a core curriculum or something that should be taught in the school. And it feels like, from my perspective, the arts can enhance every core subject. And, you know, there's just a lot of things where I feel like the general way and method of teaching is like memorize, 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 but not learn, not apply. Right. And you, you, you're forced to be concerned about grades and these metrics that don't even matter rather than the actual knowledge you're retaining. So, you know, it's just things like that, you know? Yeah. Well, they're, they're, I totally agree. I feel like arts are always like the first thing that gets chopped out of a program when somebody starts cutting budgets and 
there, I had a guest, I don't know, you may or may not know her, her name's Erin Barra, and we were talking about education. She does a, uh, a thing called Beats by Girls, and it's basically a foundation empowering women to make music. And the way that she described it was really amazing to me because to her, she doesn't care. I, I guess I should probably make sure I quote this right since it's going to be on the podcast. It's less important to her that they become musicians or producers at the end of their time together. And it's more important that they've learned to like conquer a skill and feel like more unstoppable when they get into the world. And that's kind of like what you're, you're hinting at. People are like shoving information down people's throats, but they're not really like empowering them to understand how to like make change in their life or to help others or whatever it is. Right. Right. Kind of along, along those lines, um, which is, which is great. So you've also done like similar, like, you call it diplomat work, but you've done stuff in other countries, like, you know, using music to inspire kids. How did, how did you get into that? Was that tied to any of your colleges that you were working at? Well, you know, that's the thing with Boston, all these different, like, you know, schools. So, I mean, I started traveling. I started traveling internationally when I was 18. Um, that was actually through my high school. I went to, to France and played at a jazz festival. Oh, cool. Um, and then my first year at NEC, I made it into this ensemble that got to go to Panama to do um, the Panama Jazz Festival because Danilo Perez runs this festival and he was teaching at NEC at the time. And then um, just different friends, people I met at Berkeley, you know, would take me back to their hometown. So I went to Puerto Rico a lot. And um, yeah, and then I went to just different places traveling with with friends of mine who liked, like I had a friend whose parents were British, so we would go to London. But I would say like the real education diplomacy thing started happening, like when I started like going to embassies and that sort of thing, that started in 2012. Um, what's this college? Tufts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so and there's a professor there, Joel LaRue Smith, who basically was putting an ensemble together to go to Costa Rica to do... Um, basically some concerts and education work. And he called my friend Parker, who was a bass player in my band. And Parker called me. And so we went down there. It's kind of like a Latin jazz trio. And we did some work. We worked with embassies down there. We did education programs. We did lots of cool concerts. And then we ended up going back, I think, in 2013. Yeah, we went back in 2013 and did the same thing. And that was awesome. And then 2015, they basically asked us to come again, but this time um, the professor didn't want to do it. So it was just me and Parker and we put together our own trio and we went back again, did master classes, performances, that type of thing. Then that same year, I got accepted to this program called the Next Level Cultural Diplomacy Program, which is basically a hip hop cultural diplomacy program run by the US State Department and the University of North Carolina. Basically, it's kind of an extension of the Jazz Ambassadors Program, which is like a State Department-funded program that started way back in like the 30s, where they were sending jazz musicians to all around the world to kind of promote peace and diplomacy and all these different things. Um, so they have a, now they have tons of programs like this. So this one's the first hip-hop-based one. So I did the second year, because I guess it started in 2014. So I was in the second uh, cohort. And... Um, I went to El Salvador to do um, like two week workshops and performances and things like that. 
And yeah, it's just kind of, it's just something that kind of just kept developing. I kept getting the opportunities to travel and go to different countries. So that the diplomat thing really comes from that program. Like that made me, I guess, an official diplomat, but oh, I yeah. started doing this kind of diplomacy work, um, you know, earlier in 2012. So yeah, it just became a passion of mine because when you go to these places like Costa Rica, El Salvador, or just, you know, places that you might not be thinking of necessarily, you get to see all these vibrant communities and musicians and make these cultural exchanges. And it's a really beautiful thing. And I'm still connected to people in Costa Rica, people in El Salvador. Like I still have these, these different connections and was able to connect other people um, and create, you know, just this network of, of people and creators, musicians and producers that wouldn't have otherwise existed without having these exchanges. So, you know, I'm really grateful for that because you know, you go to these places and you see their reality and sometimes the way that it's painted in media, you think like all these places are so, you know, impoverished or destitute and not, and you realize that no, it's not, it's just a different way of life, but there are all these great things happening and, you know, it improves everything if they can have a connection to you and also improve you, you can have a connection to them because there's just so much information that everybody gets from having these exchanges. So, it's just a really, for me, it's a really beautiful thing because it's not like I'm not going to like, doesn't feel like I'm going to educate people or, or that type of thing, but it's just, I'm going to have an exchange and yeah. learn about their culture and they learn about mine and we all grow from that process. So it's just something I'm really, really, really into. And I'm, I'm looking forward to doing more of that once the world's a little safer to travel in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. I could just imagine I mean, those things kind of just turning into giant jam sessions and like must have been awesome. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> now, I think that I think that's cool. I just I don't interact with a lot of people that have gone out and done things like that. And, you know, chatting with you a couple of weeks ago and then checking out your website. And then I went to the next level. I was like, man, there are so many things happening in music that I think a lot of musicians don't know about. Like there's so many people that could be doing something like this. You know, you could be going mm -hmm. to going back to your hometown, something as simple as going back to your hometown and doing a masterclass at like your elementary school. Like there's so many ways that you can give back that, you know, I think people just get caught up and they don't they don't do it, unfortunately. So I think everybody listening should should do that. <laughs> yeah, not to not to I know I glossed I said the big things, but not to gloss over. I've done tons of like elementary, middle school, high school, teaching, master classes, all that. Yeah. My band went on tour. We made it a specific thing to stop at schools and do master classes. So like not just done it internationally, I've done it <laughs> at home in New Orleans, all around the country actually. So it's, a, it's definitely a passion. You know, it's fun to look back on now because we weren't much older than a lot of these kids we were speaking to, but they, I mean, they treated us like superstars just because we were like getting them out of class to do an assembly, you know? <laughs> <laughs> did, uh, did you feel like a, uh, like a responsibility to, to like be that superstar? Like by doing that, did you feel like, Oh, I have to make sure that like, I, I'm walking the walk and I'm the best I can be. And I'm like playing that part. Did you, was there a little bit of that? Uh, maybe, but I guess, you know, like I say, it's kind of back to the earlier thing about intention. I've so much of my career, I've just assumed it would happen. Like I knew who I wanted to be, 
but I wasn't actively working towards it. I was working towards it in a very non-specific way. Yeah. I thought it was specific at the time, but you know, you really have to become honest with yourself. So I never, I'm not a superstar type. I want to be successful, but I don't really care about the spotlight. Right. And then I realized like that there are lines that you can walk, but if there's certain parts of success you want to have, then you have to be willing to do certain things. So you have to be willing to stand in that spotlight if you weren't certain things. So, you know, I don't think I was ever really intentional about being, you know, a superstar or famous or anything like that. But now that I'm reaching a different point in my life and I'm still doing music and, you know, this is my career and I'm, and I have a family, I realized like for my kids, it's important that they see me fully living my dreams so that they know that they have permission to do the same. Yeah. So now I want to be that superstar, not necessarily like famous, but I want to be the most successful version that I can imagine of myself because I want to, I, I want to show my kids that, that, Hey, like, look, look what you can do. And it's also like honoring the little kids inside of me who had dreams of being a successful musician or whatever, like seeing, seeing my kids reminds me to honor the kid within myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They say like, hey, don't give up on the dreams you had. Like now that you have all these responsibilities and blah, 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 like stay committed to your dreams. Like don't give that, don't give that part of yourself up, you know? And I think that's the way that you connect with the kids. Like even back then when I was like trying to inspire all these kids and I was not much older than them, it was really more of like telling them like not to give up on their dreams because they're in that critical age where you don't know if you're going to go to college or this or this or that we're trying to talk you out of your dreams. Yeah, so, that's, um, yeah. I think I phrased my question poorly, but uh, you answered my question. It should have been, did you feel like you had to like be the inspiring person? Um, and obviously, <laughs> obviously you do feel that way. So I'm glad that, I'm glad that my question got answered, <laughs> despite the fact that I didn't ask it right. <laughs> um, no, it's great. So it got there. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, you definitely, you seem to have a, like a give back, inspire core value that I think is, is really impressive. So. Yeah, it was just, it was just modeled for me, you know? So it's not, you know, I don't want to take the credit for that. Say like, I'm so kind and generous. It's just that, you know, that, that type of thing was modeled for me. So, you know, of course, I guess it could not follow, but you're the recipient, recipient of so much generosity. You know, you just kind of feel like, like any success I have, it's not, it doesn't belong to me. You know, so many people have helped me. So many people who didn't need to reach back to help me did. So it feels like I feel the responsibility, not to these people, but like, because I got that, I need to also give it back. Yes. Yeah. You, know, yeah. you can do the same for somebody else, which I think yeah. is, is Also, huge. you know, it's that movie too. What's that movie? Pay It Forward. I don't even know if that's the title. That was oh, the concept. You yeah, know what yeah, I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Was it was that movie called Pay It For? I don't know. What it was, I don't even know. You know, I don't even. You I know didn't what even movie know. I'm referencing. I don't. I didn't know it was a movie. I mean, I know the phrase "Pay It Forward." I didn't know it came from a movie. Yeah, it came from a movie. It's it's like a movie. Oh man, I think that came from the Sixth Sense, isn't it? But uh, anyway, yeah. Long story <laughs> short, this kid like just does good deeds, and uh, you know, his whole thing is paying it forward. So just doing random acts of kindness and things like that. 
Okay. But uh, it's a good movie. Now, this, I'm so embarrassed that I got on your podcast and referenced something that I, I can't remember the title of. <laughs> but I think I, it's actually called, I think it's actually called Pay It Forward. I don't remember the exact title. Oh, it's fine. If this was Joe Rogan, we'd have that guy like, it's got that guy that Googles everything and puts it up on the screen. Yeah, just Google. Yeah, yeah. somebody Google it. Yeah, we'll do that next time. Well, I'll have an <laughs> assistant by then. It'll be good. <laughs> I wanted to talk about Splice a little bit because I know you have a relationship with them and you're using all of your musician friends. You kind of have this this label where you're putting content up. How does that world work for you? Do you, do you just, if you don't mind me asking, do you pitch them ideas or they tell you things that they want? Because there's so much content on Splice. Like, it's not really a great question, but you, how's your Splice relationship yeah. work? <laughs> okay, well, let me clarify. So the way my Splice relationship started was that a friend of mine was one of the people on their business development team when they first started. So he sent me, like, the beta of their program when at that time it wasn't even samples. It was just this kind of, like, Dropbox-style studio, like, sharing, right. like, cloud sharing service. Um, which I thought was great. And that's all I cared about. Um, but then they they asked me to develop like a sample pack. And at the time, I didn't even know what that meant because <laughs> I'd only use sample packs of like just random drum folders and things like that. But my friend, he knew about my band and was just, you know, interested in that. So he had shown people my music. So like, oh, you should make a sample pack out of uh, your record. So I did that, but then nothing ever happened for two or three years. And in 2018, I just came in and checked to say, hey, is everyone going to come out? Like, what's, what's going on with this? And they were like, yeah, we were trying to, like, build the Splice platform up. And if you really go back from 2016 to 2018, Splice, like, completely morphed. Um, oh, yeah. Got, got a lot more funding and it got a lot more samples. So the platform really became more developed. And what they originally were pitching me for was their Splice Originals label, which had just started. I think in 2018 and that that label was about taking musicians like world-class musicians so to say and making sample packs with them but the way I got into it initially was just me sampling my band's record and so that was already kind of done so I just resubmitted that that to them and they still wanted to do this Splice Originals thing so I was working on a new record with my band and I was like okay well I'm going to come back to New York or whatever um can we let's like let's knock this out so long story short is in the process this was must have been oh yeah we're already in new year this is august 2019 i came back to work on the new record with my band and we do this spice session and these sessions turn out to become like four sample packs and uh so it's just a lot of content that we made inadvertently you know basically making demos for our record and um this is all with the Splice Originals label. And the producer, Matt Young, the guy who kind of runs that label, just was really into our sound. And I guess at the time it filled a niche that they didn't have, which was like, I guess, like soul stuff. A lot yeah. of more like, you know, just like kind of soul, neo-soul stuff. And so, yeah, they, they really liked the band. We made these four packs and they even reached out to two of the other members of our band to make more packs, more sample packs. So by the end of it by like you know earlier i don't know i, I guess by september of last year we had the, we had four sample packs with splice originals one pack that we just did directly with splice and then two others that other members of our band did so 
I kind of was like, you know, this is a great thing, but we've kind of overstayed our welcome here. You know, we've done a lot. So, but I wanted to keep doing sample packs because now I kind of been initiated into it and I liked it. And of course, um, I like receiving royalty money. So <laughs> I just pitched the idea of doing a label based on the fact that we had already had so much content with them. And, you know, this, this was in March and I was pitching this to them right as Italy was going on lockdown, but it kind of hadn't happened in the States yet. But, you know, it did happen <laughs> and a lot of other things happened, yeah. but thankful to my friend, Matt Block. He, uh, is a guy who was kind of like in between everything with the different labels he uh, really advocated for me. And so what it is now is that I'm a third party label, meaning Spice doesn't own my content, but we have a partnership. So I create my content and submit it to them and they distribute it. It's like, they're like Netflix. Cool. And I'm like the independent film studio. It's great because I can kind of make stuff that I want to make that doesn't even have to live on Spice. And I have my own kind of outlet for that. But also I can get things on Spice, which goes to so many you know millions of people now producers oh yeah and it's an opportunity for me to bring on not only the members of my band who've been the core of my sound design team but all the wonderful producers that i know and kind of highlighting the unique position that i am in and a lot of my friends are who are like live musicians performers who are also producers and kind of like straddle that line yeah, And I think um, in a sample pack world, a lot of it is like producers who are, you know, primarily producers and sound designers making things. Um, and they may be utilizing musicians to create certain things or musicians who have a lot of great facility, but need a producer to kind of like put it into the, you know, sample pack format. So I think we kind of are in between all of that and we have, just a unique array of different diverse artists who can make a lot of different genres. So, you know, for me, I, even my band, The Love Experiment, I've always looked at the collective more than a band because we've had like over 20 different members <laughs> pass through the band. So having this label kind of allows me to really live that dream and utilize everybody who I love to collaborate with and help to create sounds that hopefully would inspire people. But to be specific basically i create my own ideas now and submit them to splice because i was concerned that like i wouldn't be able to continue to make sample packs if i was just dependent on splice asking if i wanted to do one right. so having this label was my way to be able to continue to do this to develop it and you know now the way i'm going to do the platform is not only have the stuff on splice but also have our website and also have free packs to just give out to the producer community and you know a lot of the, the uh young producers who are getting started like you know who might not be on splice or just you know whatever have stuff for them but then also i'm trying to do as this platform builds more donation-based packs to go to supporting different organizations that i believe in there are a lot of great organizations that are doing music production education that i want to support there are a lot of social justice organizations that i want to support and I never really found the right avenue to do this, but people love sample packs and people, you know, they'll spend 10, 15, $20 on a sample pack. So if I can create something that I know all the proceeds will fund this organization or go to this organization, that's kind of my way of being able to help the issues that I think are most important. Yeah, that's awesome. That That's awesome to be able to use that platform. 
I guess you probably couldn't do that with the splice content and be a bit like, you know how Bandcamp, like a lot of labels during the pandemic had that, you know, like buy the record on Bandcamp and it all goes to donation here, donation there, or all goes to the artist. Yeah, yeah. Splice should get on that and just be like, you know, all of all of your packs for a day are, you know, 100% donation or whatever. Yeah, but they have their own different ways of doing that. Like they've donated to a lot of different organizations. And okay. Then, they'll have certain packs that like specifically are funding certain organizations. So they do like a lot of initiatives. Oh, they do like that. that. Okay. Um, yeah, they, they definitely do that. I think it's, it would be a little more complicated to do it on a label per label thing. But I mean, it's always something I can pitch to them, but I also realize that it's easier to just independently do it, you know, Let's but having the, having the support of splice to promote, you know, the label in general helps. Yeah. Know. That's awesome. So you've been doing, you've been putting this label together for a couple of years then. In theory, but really it just all materialized within the last year. Okay. That's very cool. Um, you don't have a website for it yet. Do you? You're just, that it, it, it will be up. It okay. will be up cool. soon. <laughs> it's not, a, not, it's one of the many things I have to do, <laughs> but when the website is up, I'll make sure you have the link. <laughs> it hopefully will be up this week. So okay, I'll make okay. sure you have the link. Yeah, man, make <laughs> it, give it to me. I'll make sure it's in the show notes. Um, you wouldn't have to get into specifics, but I have heard that successful splice packs can be a good royalty stream for musicians and producers. Is that is that true, or is it? Are we talking about like Spotify, where it's you know it's got to be huge to to work? For, no, for no, a person? no. Sample packs especially with Splice, even at low percentages of royalties, make a good amount of money. Okay. Way better than streaming. Way better than streaming. I, I recommend any producer and musician who's listening, get into the sample pack game. And if <laughs> and if you don't have an entry, email lexsoundsllc at gmail. Send me some samples and we can talk. It's definitely a game changer for musicians and producers. It's a great way to make money. Because the way Splice works, they have all these users, and basically you make money based on how many people download your samples. So they're not really buying it. They pay for credits on the site. Right. So, you know, based on how many people download, you get a percentage divided by the total revenue that Splice is bringing in from the users. So the more people who use Splice, the higher that revenue percentage is, no matter what, you know. So it just continues to get bigger. Oh, wow. Okay. I can see how that works because they have, I mean, their, their monthly subscriber base is just astronomical. It's, it's crazy. So you imagine it's your, it's your downloads and that downloads, however many downloads is calculated against like all the money from all the users, you know, so even, you know, and of course they're business. So they take, you know, you, depending on what deal you have with them, they might be taking most of the money, but right. you know, you're still making a good amount of money. So, and the more packs you do, the more money you can make. Cause a lot of producers, you know, they might have like one pack with them or a couple maybe, but you know, being a part of a label, it's like, I can, I can create a lot of them or, you know, be a part of a lot of different ones. So they've definitely helped to create a different avenue of money for musicians and producers, which is amazing. Yeah. But also, you know, I think they've also helped create a different community for producers. Like, you know, you couldn't just get high quality samples like that, you know, that were original, you know, that yeah. were from somebody's record. So they've just created a new type of thing 
that, you know, it existed before them, but they've definitely perfected the model. Totally. And this is no offense to any other sample, you know, sample pack streaming site or whatever, but I definitely think Spice has perfected the model. And, I'm, you know, I'm very grateful to that platform and I'm very loyal to it because I didn't really use sample packs, but now I do. I mostly use it to just get like textural stuff, but you know, it's still very convenient the way their search engine works and all that. So it's a very, very convenient thing. And you know, for anyone who's listening who has Spice, come spend your credits with LAX Sounds. Come download <laughs> some, some, of our, some of our sample packs. <laughs> that's, that's right. Uh, yeah, I feel like having the custom like live musician loops was something that when I was doing a lot of writing sessions years ago, some of the hip hop producers that came in, they had guys that were basically creating them sample packs and then, you know, giving those guys a cut. And now you're just going to splice. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, now those guys are just, they're making sample packs. Now they're know? making sample packs instead of being locked down to their one producer. Uh, but I think it's exactly. a really cool opportunity for musicians, especially live musicians. It's like one more place that a great drummer or a great, you know, piano player can yeah. Make some money, make some music, have some fun, you know. Um, so that's cool. I think uh, I think that's that's great. Splice is uh definitely fascinates me. I have I have so many credits. I should just go on a on yeah. a downloading spree. Cuz I, <laughs> yeah, I me too. I, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say cuz if you stop subscribing, you lose your credits, right? I guess so. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, I have so many that I re I, I refuse to stop subscribing. And now I'm like I'm so I have so many. I'm like, "Well, I, I'd have, what am I going to do with all these? Yeah, I just, I think when I, when they first asked me to make the sample pack, I was like, what are you talking about? And they're like, okay, look, we're going to get you on Splice Sounds and just so you can see. So they gave me an account and it has, I think it has the minimum credit balance, like a hundred credits. Right. But I just never used it and I still don't use it that much. I used to just download my own packs, even though that doesn't count towards any that doesn't count towards <laughs> anything because I, I have a free account so they don't count those those downloads i, I think i don't uh, know maybe they do right but i think there's like a clause like you know whatever i don't know anyway long story short i have like a thousand credits even when i download stuff i still end up like i have hundreds and hundreds of credits so okay okay well here's a question what does your sample library hard drive look like is it organized or is it like uh, a journey into absolute confusion what's going on in there well well no well i have i have this folder that i've had for like 10 plus years called music production and i have all these i guess probably illegal <laughs> samples of <laughs> and just drum kits really that people gave me over the years and those are all nicely organized okay which i don't go i don't go in that folder anymore it's there but i don't go in it now i just use stuff from splice and or i use my own samples i mostly just use my own stuff yeah and you know spice keeps it all organized like the stuff you download so i don't even really actually physically download it um to my computer some of the stuff is backed up on my computer but yeah it really is just all splice and i just drag stuff that i want but i guess you know i like creating things myself so i'm not using samples that much or if i really want to sample i'm gonna go find a record to sample yeah because i like i like that by you know yeah. um the weirdest thing about making samples is, you know, as a producer, you, it's, it's, you just kind of get, it's like it gets mixed up because I'm a composer, so I like playing instruments. I like writing the harmony and the melodies and all that. 
but then I'm a producer. So I love to find something and chop it up and manipulate it. And then, you know, now I'm a sound designer and sample pack creator. So it's like, I have all these different things that I've made or made with my band and stuff that I can use. So, you know, I think the one downfall is that it can become overwhelming. There's (laughs) so much stuff. Yeah. But, you know, so you just kind of have to find inspiration wherever you can. And to me, I still always find the most inspiration just playing chords and just seeing where that leads me. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's just, it's finding a cool sample, but a lot of times it's making something and then finding a cool sample to add to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, um, before we go, I wanted to touch on, on your production work. And we talked so much about education. Have you been doing like a lot of remote production during the pandemic or how are you working that world? Yeah. You know, it's, it's right now it's hard because everything I'm doing is almost like it's, I'm in process with so many things. So I'm just in the middle of so many different records and things like that. So yeah. it's, it's been hard because of course I'm remote and, you know, I'm producing a record, my band, they're all in New York. I'm here uh, producing stuff with other artists and, you know, they're all in different places, but I've been making it work. I'm in the process of building a studio out here with a friend of mine, which is nice because it gives me a place to really work and record drums and do all the stuff I really, really need to do that I can't do in my apartment. Right. But yeah, it's, you know, it's just interesting, but I also feel like this is just the way that the world is going right now, that everyone's kind of doing this remote type of production stuff. I would say, you know, this year, like this last year, I've done a lot of stuff. And now this year, is when a lot of stuff is going to be released. <laughs> yeah. If that makes sense. I, I have albums that I've been producing for other people. Also my own record with my band. Also, I'm also like a rapper. So I have music that that's coming out with that project because that's kind of been like, not secret project, but something I've been working on since I moved to Italy about taking seriously. And I've released music with this guy, Braxton Cook, who's actually based in LA now. Amazing saxophonist and vocalist. We have a group called Black Infinite, and so I've released a lot of music with him. Cool. And so this year, I'm really just kind of like trying to focus on all of my facets as an artist. So making more beat tapes as a producer, making more music as a rapper, and making more music with my band. And then I have all these other records that I produce of other people's music that I'm just kind of like helping as a producer. And then just also, you know, I make beats and send that to rappers and, and do that whole thing. But yeah, it's just kind of like the real thing for me is I have my kids at home. So it's just always trying to find balance yeah. between work and, and family and all that, which has been the most difficult thing for me. But I think this this period, this time period is just teaching us all new ways to work, new ways to function. And I think that if we can get through it, we all of us will come out of it with a different sense of you know efficiency but also appreciation for time you know oh yeah agree yeah yeah it's been a a crazy year but like my i think i've said this before my kind of silver lining is is all the people that i've met you know starting this show and reaching out to people on the internet just hitting up somebody and saying like yeah i think your music's dope and then then we actually work together or we maybe we just have a conversation but yeah, it's definitely, I think it's changing how the world works. I know everybody's going to want to get back in a room and, you know, a band is going to want to play music again, but it's definitely going to be very acceptable to be all over the world and make a, make a great record. 
Yeah, I mean, I actually, I actually did that years ago. Actually, my, my band's second record was actually a collaboration between um, us and this group in Japan, and we never got in the same room. So that's cool. Actually, you know, have been on this for a while, but now it's a lot easier to do this stuff than it was even a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, all the the tech and the and the know how is like really increased a lot. Do you um you you mentioned balance? Do you have any? one-liner tips or insights for people that are like trying to balance family and, and music. I wrote an article on Spice about it. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, specifically about that. So if they want to really a deep dive into it, just search my name on Spice blog. There's a whole thing about balancing like parenting life and, and um, production. But to be quick about it, I mean, it's, it's a hard topic, um, <laughs> but uh, it's really about your own personal self-discipline. So finding how you work most efficiently, whether that means you have to wake up a little earlier to, to work before your kids are up or whatever. Also, just making sure that you're present when you're really with your family yeah. and not like distracted about work. That's like a big challenge. Like the work is always there and it's always like imposing, but when you're with family you make it with family so that when you're with work you're really with work yeah so that you're not divided when you're working thinking about like oh all this other family stuff i got to do but when you're with family thinking about your work like be clear and present with whatever you're doing so i think for me that's really about organizing time and making sure i have time cut out to do the things i need to do where i can fully focus on them as opposed to just trying to do it all at the same time yeah, it is challenging to to have the barrier that you're, you're talking about to like to walk out of the studio or come home from the office and like shut it off, especially in music. For some reason, people uh, you can't shut it off. You can't shut music off completely. Yeah, it's it's it. You can get a creative spark or somebody who just laid a rap on your beat at three o'clock in the morning wants you to hear it, and you get in text messages. And, and you know, it's 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 tough, particularly in music. I think to to really have that boundary, but I agree it's it's important. So my last question, I don't know if, if you've heard the show, but I always end with, what is your next big goal? And what is the next smallest thing you're gonna do to go towards that goal? Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> so many big goals. It's funny cause me, me and my lady, like we both have these dry erase boards, which are like our vision boards. That's and awesome. She, hers, is, hers is very neat and organized and has all these cool things because she's an author. So has all her books that she's writing and all these things. And I put like my thing and she was like, what does this Q1 stand for? I was like, this is quarter one. She's like, this is everything you want to do in the first three months. I was like, yeah. <laughs> it was like the whole thing was full. Um, <laughs> so, you know, my next big goal is a lot of big goals. I got albums to finish. I got a lot of stuff, but I think the most important big goal is really getting my labels website up and getting my free packs out, like the free sample packs I want to do. Um, and the, I guess the smallest step is just not a small step, but it's a step is getting the domain name and starting to build a site, even if it's a one page site, just to have the, the space online. Yeah. And once it's there, then I have the infrastructure to start uploading these packs that I need to create that are going to be free or whatever. So that that's a big goal because like I said, it, it leads back to 
being able to do the donation thing, but also, um, you know, being able to just put free content out there because I didn't mention, but I did this uh, online course with Carnegie Hall in the Department of Education. Uh, it was like a music production course for middle school kids that okay. I just completed um, a few months ago. And so it's being distributed to like thousands of teachers around the country. And um, yeah, basically one of the things I want to give to these students who do this is some free samples. So they must've just gotten this thing in November, maybe. That's awesome. So, you know, it's, and now it's pressing on me like, all right, I want to get this free sample pack out because it's like this resource list that gets included. So I want to, once I have it, it'll be added to the resource list. So I want to make sure these kids get this, get the, these samples and also just make a connection with them because it's going out to like millions of kids actually. So I want to like be able to, for the few of those who are going to want to pursue music production seriously, I want them to have a route into getting great content and not having to pay for it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Can, can I, the, uh, that course, is that basically just going out to schools and then if a kid is interested, they can just take that online class. Is that what the deal is with that? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's free. And it also exists on uh, Carnegie Hall's website. And this, you search like Carnegie Hall digital music production and it'll come up. And it's, you know, it's free and like it's good for anybody who's interested in production. It's geared towards middle school kids, but it's really good for anybody if they want to learn the basics of production. It's there. It's just a video series and it has questions and it has prompts and all these type of things. So it's just really like a kind of self-directed introductory course to production. I also have like a more advanced music production course on this website called Soundfly that um, actually now people can like subscribe to. And that's really good for people who want to go deeper. That course is about hip hop production. But cool. yeah, this this course with Carnegie and the Department of Education was just a, a resource for supporting distance learning this year. So I was happy to do that. But now having my sample pack label, I want to be able to give sample to these kids who are doing this course and hopefully spark inspiration for the few of these kids who do this who might actually want to continue with music production so a lot of big goals that you know like you said i have to break down to small small tasks and the this first task is getting the website up <laughs> hey that well that just goes to show you it takes us all the way back to the beginning where it's like this epic goal comes down to godaddy.com and typing in your thing and that and yeah. it's, it just becomes so attainable when you break it down like that. Um, dude, this was so awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. I love your, like, your passion for Pay It Forward or whatever the movie was called. Gotta uh, find the movie. That's going to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta put a link to the movie when I find it. Put yeah, a link to the movie. That's, that's right. That's yeah, right. I feel um, so bad. <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's good. Anyway, I, I love your passion for giving back. And, like, you seem like you just want to inspire kids to just be able to chase their dreams, which I think is just just epic uh do you want to share uh any websites or socials where people can find you before we go yeah uh you know instagram seems to be the the modern medium so i'm on there at blbk beats that's blbk beats that's me as a producer and then the, my band's the love experiment at love experiment and then the label is at lex.sounds and yeah check us out on splice for those who are interested in sample packs and uh gonna have a lot of music coming out spotify you can follow black samurai blvk samurai 
also Carnival Kid, Carnival with a K. Um, also Love Experiment. That's kind of my main musical acts. And uh, yeah, check me out, check my music out. And, you know, if you're interested in any of the production stuff, I'll make sure that I send you the links <laughs> so you have it. I think I've already sent you the links. So Yeah, yeah, I'll make sure all of it's in the, it. in the show notes for people. <laughs> awesome. Charles, thank you so much, man. I'm sorry uh, that it's so late over there. Thanks for staying up and hanging out with us. But um, this has been a lot of fun. We should uh, we should keep in touch for sure. Yes, this is truly a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for hitting me up and letting me know that people will actually read my articles. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, have, have a great night. Thank you so much. And that does it for episode 19. As usual, thank you so much for listening. Please like and share, subscribe if you're getting value. Also, please consider signing up for our mailing list. There's links in the show notes. Uh, we have tons of really exciting stuff happening this year, and I'm going to share it with those people first. And also, if you have not joined completeproducer.net, we have a special room over there. The conversations are great, so please jump over there and join that as well. So we'll see you next week.